Philemon, I want to say chapters 4 through 7. If you want to call them chapters, you're not going to be too wrong. It's the only divisions we have in this small little book. We're going to start a series on Philippians, and what better place to start than Philemon? Actually, there is a good connection, and part of the reason we're doing it is I knew that we'd have lots of regulars out today, and it makes sense to actually do a Uh, the real start of our series when we have the whole church family together, but we'll have a soft start this morning and get it going. So Philemon, we'll read verses 4 through 7. I invite you to follow along. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Let's pray. Father, open our hearts and minds to hear from you this morning. Use this passage to impact us, to draw us together to grow us to be like Jesus. So Father, guide my thoughts and words. Guide our response in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Sunday night, we actually had a bit of a preview of one of the major themes of the book of Philippians and also the major theme that we're going to see in this morning's passage. We talked about fellowship. Uh, More specifically, we talked about the Greek word koinonia, which is oftentimes translated as fellowship uh, throughout the scripture. So we looked at a good number of instances where this Greek word appears in the New Testament. What we find is that the way scripture uses the concept of fellowship is, uh, is quite deeper than simply talking about us conversing or us eating together as we use the word fellowship today. It's not wrong to use the word fellowship to refer to what we did just before the service as we were out there chatting and what we're going to do after the service because we as a church are really good at that, hanging around and conversing with one another. It's it's okay to call that fellowship because it is. It's not wrong to call what we're going to do tonight that involves food. Did you catch that? Bring food and we will have a fellowship tonight. It's not wrong to call that a fellowship, but the the biblical concept of fellowship is more than those things. Now, if you look at your Bible and reread the verses that I just read for you, you probably don't see the word fellowship. If you do, it's probably because you're using the New American Standard Bible, a very good translation, and it literally translates the word koinonia as fellowship. Anyone in here have NASB in front of them? No. So no one else read fellowship in their verse. That's okay. We're going to get to it when we get to it. Uh, the, reason I, the, the reason I believe that a lot of these translations don't use the word fellowship is because of the way we colloquially use the word fellowship. Uh, and so uh, by using other words helps us to see the depth of that word koinonia. In other words, we'll get to it when we get to it. The book of Philemon is short, as you can see, not even big enough to be divided up into chapters. Philemon, the man, was a well-off person whom Paul knew personally. Philemon was a very faithful believer. 
We know he was faithful because Paul commends him in many ways, even in this very short book. Philemon was also wealthy. We know this because a church met in his home. Churches, uh, especially as the church was getting started, they didn't have resources to go buy property and build a structure. They just met where they could. And so if you were a a wealthy person, you probably had uh, extra space to have several people come and congregate together and worship the Lord. And so uh, there's a church in Philemon's house. Uh, We also know he's wealthy for he owned slaves. Whereas it might make sense that a faithful believer who was wealthy might open his home to have a church meet there, it might seem a little bit incongruous to our minds that a wealthy believer would own slaves. Keep in mind that slavery in that day was generally not the purchase of a person like it was in the United States many years ago. It was oftentimes, slavery was oftentimes the purchase of their labor. It was buying a certain number of years' labor so that, they could, so that the individual could pay off a debt. Now, it's true, there were plenty of people who abused their slaves. There were plenty of people who uh, maybe paid for a certain number of years, contracted for a certain number of years, but then didn't release them at the end. Okay, there were lots of abuses in slavery back then. I don't want to paint an overly rosy picture. However... Paul didn't write letters to very many individuals that were kept as scripture, okay? And if Philemon had been abusing slaves, the the content of the letter of Philemon would be very, very different. Uh, So what we know is that, that Philemon is a wealthy man, but he's a good and godly man as well. His slave, Onesimus, uh, has wronged him. Whatever the terms of Onesimus' contract with Philemon were, he broke those terms by leaving. He escaped. Under Roman law, Philemon was well within his rights to have Onesimus beaten, have him imprisoned, and the state could even have him put to death if charges were deemed bad enough for the, the wrong that Onesimus committed against Philemon by leaving. But while Onesimus was free from Philemon, he got connected with Paul while Paul was in prison. And Onesimus got saved. If you glance through the rest of the book of Philemon, Paul says, and Philemon became my son in the Lord. He, Paul was able to lead Philemon to the Lord. So now, I said that wrong. Paul led Onesimus to the Lord. So Paul is writing to Philemon, encouraging him to take Onesimus back, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. It's a radical departure from the cultural norm. What a good friend of Philemon normally would have done is said, hey Philemon, I found your slave, I've got him for him, I'm going to bring him back to you. Instead, Paul says, Philemon, I have your slave. He's now a brother of yours. You should accept him back as such and not as a slave. You should forgive him for leaving. You should forgive him for the financial cost that he has caused you, for the wrong that he has caused you. And not only you should forgive him by removing this debt that he has to you, but you should go way beyond and make him part of your family. Our passage today 
I've given you the overview of the book of Philemon. Our passage today is the foundation for Paul's request. And what we're going to see in it for us today is that individual growth influences others' growth. Now, that's kind of an awkward statement, I know, as I was trying to condense it. If I condense it too much, it gets awkward, but if I don't condense it, then it gets too wordy and we might lose the concept. So I'm keeping it short. Individual growth influences others' growth. So in verse 4, we see Paul's gratitude. I know not everyone in here has had children, but many of us have, and even if you haven't, you can probably relate. Uh, It's fantastic when children start saying thank you. It starts out with, okay, grandma has given you your birthday present, now say thank you. You you train them. You tell them to say thank you. And then later, uh, you can shorten it. You can say, okay, now what do you say? You've used that, haven't you? And they say, oh, thank you. But then there's this window of time in a child's life where they just start saying thank you automatically, and it's so wonderful. Sometimes it doesn't even make sense. We had a child that after a spanking would say, thank you, mommy. (laughs) At some point, they get trained that when they receive something from someone else, they say thank you. But then they get a little bit older, and that just flies out. I don't know what happens. I think some of it is a younger child is just more in the moment and is paying attention to everything, whereas as we get older, we get more distracted, and so we have to train them again to be thankful and because otherwise the only time they they'll say thank you anymore is if they're they're actually really grateful because they're surprised by whatever you've given them whatever it is it's heart melting when a child says thank you because they genuinely mean it i really didn't have to say child there did i it's heart melting when someone shows their gratitude of any age, isn't it? Paul is showing his heart in verse four. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you, Philemon, in my prayers. Remember, this is a letter to Philemon. It's an open letter, so uh, the church was supposed to read it. We were supposed to get it, but it's directed to Philemon. I remember Philemon, and I thank God for him. I can say this about each of you as well. I thank my God when I remember you, whether it's spontaneously or whether it's structured. And what I mean by that is sometimes I just think of people in the church and I pray for them. As I was writing this little paragraph in my notes, I was sitting in a coffee shop and some people from our church walked in. And I stopped and I prayed and thanked God for them again. Spontaneously, I pray a prayer of thanksgiving for the people of this church, but also in a structured way. Every, uh, every day I spend some time, uh, let me be honest, every day I try to spend some time with the, the church directory. It doesn't happen every day, please forgive me. But I read through the names of the people in our church and I pray for each one of you individually throughout the week. And I thank God for you. I understand Paul's heart for Philemon. He doesn't have to remind himself to thank God for him. His love compels him. It's a natural part of of who he is because as Philemon comes to mind, oh, I remember, he was such a good man. 
I want to be with him again, but I can't, but I'm going to thank God for him. Paul is encouraging Philemon because the message of the book of Philemon is actually a very hard news message. He's going to ask Philemon to do something very difficult. And so he starts out not buttering him up. Don't take it that way. But he starts out encouraging him, testifying of his love for Philemon. So we see Paul's gratitude in verse 4. The gratitude continues in verse 5 as we see Philemon's reputation. He says, I thank God in verse 4. It continues in verse 5. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And if you take this sentence, there's a, you think my big idea this morning is a bit awkward? This is an awkward sentence. This wording is awkward, and, and, and I hope you can see what I mean by that. It sort of sounds like, if we take verse 5 by itself, it sort of sounds like there is a love and a faith that Philemon have, has, and he has this love and faith for both Jesus and his fellow believers. And that sounds great, except would Paul ever really say anything about having faith in another saint? You all should be shaking your head no right now. I should hear it rattling and making all sorts of noise. No. But that's kind of what it comes across as, at least in, in our English translation, because I hear of your love and of the faith, that's the two things, that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. It seems like there's two recipients to these two things. That can't possibly be what he means. And that's just one of the rules of basic Bible interpretation is to interpret awkward and obscure passages of scripture with clear ones, okay? The, the clarity is that our faith and hope is found only in Jesus Christ, right? Okay, so what he's saying here is that Philemon is exhibiting faith in the Lord and he's demonstrating love for the saints. They're both in there, uh, but Paul is not going to... Uh, Paul is not mixing up his metaphors. He is not uh, mixing uh, his theology with, uh, his orthodox theology with unorthodox theology. Uh, he's conversing with a friend is what he's doing. In fact, the book of Philemon is the only letter of Paul that we have recorded as scripture that doesn't give the gospel of Christ in it. You read the book of Philemon, you're not going to hear about uh, salvation by grace through faith alone. You're not going to hear about the consequences of sin. You're not going to hear about all sorts of aspects of the gospel. That does not mean that, that Paul is being delinquent in what he's writing here, but what it means is he knows his audience. He knows Philemon. Philemon uh, doesn't need to have the gospel rehearsed for him because it's so much a part of his life. We'll get to that in the next verse, but, but he's not confusing Philemon, and he wasn't confusing the early church that read this verse. They understood that there is no such thing as faith in other saints, okay? There is faith in God, in, in Jesus alone. There is love for Jesus and love for the saints, uh, and Paul is just simply commending Philemon for his reputation of being faithful to God and showing it in love. 
Individual growth influences others' growth. Philemon's growth in Christ, his basic Christianity of trusting Christ for his salvation, in trusting Christ for his daily walk, just living the Christian life, Philemon having that as his character and the love that he shows for other believers. Both of these things cause an increase in gratitude for Paul, doesn't it? So gratitude is one of those Christian virtues that we ought to be exhibiting and growing in. And Paul is exhibiting gratitude and growing in gratitude. Why? Because of the character and reputation of Philemon. So do you see how that interconnectivity works? How by Philemon just living a godly life, expressing it how Christians do, just hearing that good news, Paul grows in his virtue of gratitude. So Philemon's growth influenced Paul's growth. Does it ever cross your mind that just Going about life, being a godly person actually helps other people grow in their godliness as well? It really does. And sometimes it's, it's almost passive like this where uh, the way Philemon was impacting Paul was just because Paul heard about how Philemon was living. Other times it's more active. But whatever the case is, how you are growing in your Christian life influences others. Verse 4 was Paul's gratitude, then we had Philemon's reputation. Verse 6, Paul prays for growth. He says, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Paul locks in his appeal to Philemon on the basis of, of the gospel, that word sharing that I read for you at the beginning of verse six, that's that Greek word koinonia. Uh, other translations use participation, and like I said, the New American Standard called it the fellowship of, of, of your faith. The sharing of your faith as believers in Jesus Christ means that we all equally have this, this sharing of faith, this fellowship of, of grace, of mercy, of the love of God and all that entails, of forgiveness, of brotherhood. Koinonia defined is an association involving close mutual relations and involvement. So that word sharing has not just uh, this emotional connection of being related to one another, but an involvement in the gospel. So we can easily understand that relational aspect of fellowship, but the term uh, has to be active. So the involvement, the activity here in verse 6 is centered on faith, on what we know and believe to be true regarding the gospel. We all share in this. Pastor Dan and I do not have more grace and mercy and love from God because we are pastors. We don't. We all share in this. The believer who has been serving God faithfully for 70 years is on an equal footing with the one who's only been saved for seven days. Do I mean that the seven-day-old believer is somehow as spiritually mature as the 70-year-old? No. 
but the one who has spent decades of unrestrained sin is not somehow behind the one who has spent the same decades being faithful in the eyes of God because both are equally sinners and equally saved. That sharing of the faith. This fellowship of faith is not simply a nice motto. It is our way of life. It should be. Now, the ESV that I read from translates koinonia as sharing, and that's a perfectly good translation. Uh, but when we just talk about sharing of the faith, we might be easily confused into thinking he's talking about evangelism. When we talk about sharing our faith in, in the sense of evangelism, we're talking about sharing with someone who is not a believer what it means to be a believer, to understand that they are a sinner in God's eyes because they have not lived up to the character and nature of God and therefore they need to have their sin removed and they need to have a righteousness not their own placed on them that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. That's evangelism, that's what we think of as sharing our faith. But here in verse 6, he doesn't just say sharing your faith with unbelievers. He says sharing your faith so that you may become effective in knowing every good thing that is in us. The fellowship of the faith helps Philemon to understand the faith that is in other people, the goodness that is in other people because of God, not their own. Don't, don't get it mixed up there. For the sake of Christ. In other words, verse 6 really is uh, kind of the linchpin of where he's going with, uh, with Philemon to convince him to take back Onesimus. So that he would recognize the faith that Onesimus has, that koinonia of faith that Onesimus now belongs to, and because he's a brother in Christ, he needs to, to, to treat him as such. So Paul's prayer specifically for Philemon is related to how he's going to view Onesimus. But what we take from it is that our communion of faith would, would help us live out a Christian life in even a fuller way so that we see God at work within each other. The hard part that Paul is going to get to with Philemon as I've said, is he wants Philemon to see Onesimus as a partner in Christ, not as a slave who wronged him. Have you ever been wronged by someone? How easy is it to get past that? Maybe you were ripped off. Someone took advantage of you and it cost you many thousands of dollars. Has that happened? Or maybe someone maligned you, lied about you, ruined your reputation with others. Those hurt. And they can be very difficult to get over. In fact, I would say outside of the gospel, we can't get over it. What hurts even more is when these happen by a fellow believer. We expect the world to be evil and to do sinful things. But when it comes from within, that hurts. 
In Philemon's case, the wrong that was done to him was before the individual came, became a believer. Onesimus was not a believer, but he is now. So Philemon's in this unique case where someone has wronged him. He was of the world, but now he is a brother. And Paul is pleading with him to forgive. In fact, if you read on later, Paul says, as an apostle, I have the authority to command you to take him back, but I want you out of love to do so without me commanding you. Because Onesimus has become a believer, because he is part of the fellowship of faith, there is this union through the participation of the gospel that enables Philemon and enables us to live contrary to our own self-interest. So if we're ripped off for many thousands of dollars, we can actually let it go. Individual growth influences others' growth. Paul wants Philemon to grow by means of his common faith with other believers. So here he's asking that the, 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 the commonality, the communion, the participation that he has of, with the gospel, with other believers, will help him to forgive and receive back the slave that had left. That's a powerful prayer that Paul is praying for Philemon. We end with verse 7, the power of testimony. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. In this one verse, we have a triangle of individual growth impacting others' growth. The, the first person of this triangle is Paul. He is growing in the spirit fruit of joy. He says, I have derived much joy and comfort from what? From your love, Philemon. So he's receiving it from person number two of this triangle, Philemon. Because other saints have been refreshed through you, the other saints are number three. They have grown as a result of number two, Philemon. So Paul is receiving joy from Philemon. Philemon has refreshed the other saints. The other saints have given joy and, and refreshment to Paul as well. And so you see the interconnectivity of the body of Christ, even in this one verse. Paul has impacted Philemon's spiritual growth, having led him to Christ and discipled him. Philemon has impacted his local church's spiritual growth. And Philemon and the church in his house has impacted Paul's spiritual growth. And we don't think of Paul, the, the mighty apostle, as needing to grow, as being impacted by the lowly commoner. But it's true. In fact, the church doesn't have those kind of rankings, does it? We are all brothers and sisters in Christ, and we all need each other, this fellowship of faith. Fellow believer in Christ, you are part of a whole. You are part of a body. And when you are growing in Christ, you will have a positive influence on other believers in the church. Maybe as simple as uh, 
as giving someone joy and comfort as listed here in verse 7. It may be more specific, such as sharing with someone what you've read in Scripture that morning, which turns out to be exactly what they needed to hear. From time to time, I, I share with others something from my devotional. And oftentimes, I say, you know, that's exactly what I needed to hear this morning. Thanks for sharing. And when people share with me, oftentimes that's what I needed to hear too. Perhaps that's why the Lord laid me on their heart to share with that morning. All this to say, we are in this together. We, as the church of God, are saved individually, true, but we are not saved to individuality. We are saved to be part of this body and to encourage and to spur on one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this brief letter to Philemon. Thank you for the many principles that we can glean from it, uh, and most specifically that, that we as God's people are intertwined in this fellowship of faith, that we need one another, that we grow best with one another rather than apart from one another. And Father, sometimes the the union that we have, the, the way that we influence one another leads to hard conversations. Uh, Paul is, is leading up to a very hard conversation he has to have with Philemon. Yet, through the unity of the gospel, their common faith in Jesus Christ, uh, we know that, that you use that to change Philemon's heart. Lord, we ask that you would help us to influence one another in all the godly ways that we should and that we would start with our own diligence and discipline to live for you through reading your word and praying and, and sharing the gospel with others and sharing with others how we've learned and, and um, helping each other as we struggle in this life. Lord, we pray that we, the, the family of God, would indeed help each other throughout this day and week. In Jesus' name, amen.